Hey everyone, I'm Andrew Coates. I am the host of the Lift Free and Die Hard podcast. Thank you for joining me on what is our lifetime episode number 300. 150 since I've been hosting this on my own, a previous 150 with my old podcast co-host and very good friend, Dean Guido. And I think from now on, we're probably going to end up titling these in the, you know, the, having the full, full number. So we'll consider this episode 300. And to celebrate that, I have Sean Madden. He is a striking coach. He's a program director of Easton, which is a mixed martial arts studio, um, a series of studios based in Denver. And we're going to talk about why MMA is growing in popularity within the fitness industry. You see a lot of prominent figures talking about it and, and practicing it. And in the general population as a whole, we talk about a lot of the misconceptions, risk versus reward, and, and all the great benefits of being involved in mixed martial arts. And perhaps most notably is Sean it works with one of my favorite musicians, Maynard James Keenan of Tool. Now, we're not going to ask a lot of questions about Maynard. He's a private individual, even as famous as he is. But I am interested, and we talk a lot about what the experience is like coaching someone like Maynard. So it's a real treat for me. I uh, hope you stay tuned and enjoy. Hey, Sean, welcome to the show. Um, you are my guest number well, 300 lifetime. So for anybody listening, I sometimes refer to the fact there was 150 episodes before with my old co-host Dean Guido and then kind of start over at one again on my own for another 150. But the plan going forward is, listen, I've done Lifetime 300. And so Sean Madden, you're you're kind of a unique and special guest because we connected over, over the internet. And I think most listeners by now, anyone who's been on my media knows that I'm a massive Tool fan, the band Tool. And so I originally came on Sean's media because... Maynard James Keenan, front man of Tool, had posted you because you're actually his Muay Thai uh, MMA skills coach uh, when he's in Denver, and you've been working with him for, for four years now. So that's actually really cool. I'm going to ask about that later, but first of all, just welcome. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Um, I always love kind of, you know, connecting with like-minded folks in the in the fitness industry in general, obviously, I'm in a, a slightly different lane, but martial arts still applies uh, in that concept. So, yeah, I'm excited to, to chat it up today. And I want to talk about that because, if anything, we're seeing more and more people within the fitness industry talk about. I mean, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is probably the thing that the fitness bros have gotten obsessed with. My former co-host, Guido, he is, a, he is in love with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Imagine like a former powerlifter and a very damn good and strong one. You, gets obsessive about whatever he touches and then goes into Brazilian jiu-jitsu and he's just ragdolling people because he's so physically strong. When you equate for skill and body weight, he's stronger than people. So, you know, it's still technique and precision, but when you equate for that skill, he's an absolute menace. He's gone down to the U.S. and won, won stuff down there. Um, but I, I'm kind of fascinated with it. You get people like James Smith, who's a you know well-known fitness figure, my friend Jeb Stewart Johnston, who's a former guest, Dr. Mike Isertel has, you know, has been involved in this stuff for a long time. So there's more and more conversation about it. And it, do, you, do you have any like insight as to why Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, mixed martial arts in general, Muay Thai, uh, which is your background, are getting more popular in and around the fitness industry and with the general population? Why is it growing? Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, for me, it's combat sports is is one of the purest things that you can do you know uh it's been around since the dawn of time um and to me it's one of the best analogies and metaphors for life right anything that we do on the mats whether it's grappling or it's striking 
any of that can be translated directly into life, you know? Um, and that, you know, that's true for a lot of things in the fitness industry, but there's just something different and unique when, um, you're getting choked, um, when you're getting arm barred, when you're getting punched in the face, when you're getting kicked or kneed in the body, um, something that comes with a little bit more consequence when you fail, um, and the opportunity to fail, experience those consequences and then restart again. So, you know, for me, you know, martial arts is just such a great vehicle for, human development, um, and human improvement. And I think people are, you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the marketing machine that the UFC is people are seeing that mm -hmm. and it's, you know, a big surge in popularity. And we can talk about that a little bit more in depth, but mm -hmm. as people start to see that and it gains traction, uh, people are starting to dip their toes into the, the core martial arts like jujitsu, like Muay Thai. And I think right now, as a result of that, they're really starting to pick up. I guess you mentioned UFC. I mean, UFC is probably the the most significant mainstream driver of its popularity on that level. I guess, you know, back when the karate kid would have come out, I'm old enough to remember the original karate kid. And I'm guessing that enrollment in karate classes must have exploded around that time. And I think most people thought of karate as probably like the main martial art, probably, you know, a fair bit of Kung Fu, I suppose. Um, the the Kung, Kung Fu, the legend continues that old show with David Carradine probably doesn't quite live up to the karate kids legacy. <laughs> and of course, it get really weird where you have the Karate Kid remake, but it's actually Jackie Chan and they're doing Kung Fu. Like that was. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it's been visible in the mainstream for a while, but UFC seems to move the needle. You get, I guess, people like Joe Rogan and there's going to be people listening to this who are like freak out about Joe Rogan. There are going to be people who love him. It's like, I don't really give a shit about that. It's just Rogan is a very mainstream figure as a comedian, you know, everything. And then obviously he's been a, a giant advocate. But, and I would argue that Rogan has been kind of instrumental to the growth of the UFC as well. Yeah, 100%. He's been with them almost since day one. Um, and obviously, you know, like you said, his his popularity has grown alongside the UFC, um, separate from the UFC too, independent of that. But uh, those two things together um, really reach a lot of new audiences and, and help bring folks in, you know. So yeah, exactly like you said, the UFC is, is the premier combat sports organization at the moment they have such a large reach um internationally um and they, they've done a fantastic job of just reaching new audiences and getting new people involved in the sport watching it casual fans right we see it on espn now which is which is fantastic for the sport um you know and you can have your opinion about how the ufc does business there's a that's a that's a whole separate discussion with their athletes and how they pay them but mm. overall you know they've done a fantastic job of you know kind of exposing the sport and, and bringing uh, a lot of new eyes uh to the athletes and and the martial arts in general it's uh so you and i when we first got talking you obviously follow and you know about my friend joel jameson and joel Correct. kind of a legendary strength and conditioning coach in the ufc space he's been demetrius johnson's Mm -hmm. long time started with dj before dj had anything and i i met joel in 2017 i've got to know him really well he's been a guest on the podcast a few times and if everything goes according to plan well i'll be hanging out with him in march because he's speaking at an event that i'm attending i was spoken at last year but there'll be another event in the fall which has been announced but the speaker lineup hasn't that in if it all goes according to plan joel and i will both be speaking at but joel's had uh, a bunch of us go down and hang out at the UFC Performance Institute in Las Vegas mm -hmm. for a couple of days yep. for seminars. And that place is really cool. And it's cool. I got to see, like, I've seen Joel walk out on pay-per-view main events to the ring with DJ, right? So that, that stuff's cool. All right, a little side tangent. But I guess, do you feel like people are drawn to this 
because they're interested in self-defense. I think that's kind of the, maybe the older original thing. Or do you think that there's a lot of people who literally want to compete because obviously they see the UFC side of it? Or do you think a lot of people are getting more into it as this almost like Zen, discipline, mental health, personal mastery side? Yeah, you know, I think uh, people, everyone that walks into the door, you know, we'll take Easton, for example, where I work at, right? Easton Training Center in Denver here. I always say that anyone who comes in there is is not is hundred percent happy and satisfied with their life, right? They they have some type of demon, and that's true for weightlifting. That's that's true for a lot of things in the fitness industry. Maybe they lack confidence. Um, you know, maybe they just want to discover a new piece about themselves. There are there are some people who want to compete, but you know, um, it's a very small percentage. We have you know, so we have we have eight locations in Colorado right now. We have about a a, a total student body of just over three thousand students here in in Colorado between our eight locations. 1% of that or less is interested in competing, you know, uh, especially in striking sports. Mm-hmm. Just the fact of the matter is people don't want to get punched in the face. Look, I fought for a long time and I never enjoyed getting punched in the face. That that was something that I tried to avoid, um, you know. Um, so, yes, there are some that want to compete, but it, mostly what I see as self-defense is a good starting point or just lacking some type of confidence about themselves and they want to feel a little bit more empo- empowered. Fitness, of course, is always is is one of the prerequisites, you know, something that most people will come in for as well, too. So there's a variety of different reasons that people will come into a martial arts gym or academy um, to figure out something about themselves. Um, yeah, that's man. we get we get all walks of life. We get all people in there. And and it's, it's great to kind of see everyone have their own journey inside of the inside of the gym. You just hit on something that I think the, the more enlightened fitness professionals usually say or understand is it's not about fitting people to your preferred methodology or ideology about training. You know, it's like you get CrossFit coaches that they don't pick on CrossFit coaches disproportionately. I mean, they're fun to take the piss out of, but I actually respect what <laughs> CrossFit does on the, on the greater scale of things. But you know, you get a CrossFit coach and they tend to think, well, everybody needs to do CrossFit. It's like, not everybody's going to love CrossFit. Now I'm a big believer in you do what you love. You get people to self-select to your, your methods. But it's about getting people active, moving, mentally healthy, physically healthy. I, I can imagine there's tremendous mental health and cardiorespiratory and metabolic health benefits to being a lifelong practitioner of martial arts, right? 100%. And it, it probably, it, you know, there's, there's resistance-based stuff, especially when you're, you know, combat, whether sparring or, or competition. Uh, so... I could see that being, you know, probably on a similar level to a lot of resistance-based training. Now, I suppose here's one thing you alluded to the striking and getting hit. Are there any misconceptions about the risk versus reward of the experience in particular, you know, the risk of injuries? I, one of my good, good friends, now this is a freak accident, so not to scare anybody, but uh, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, former CFL player. I mean, he's strong, tough, disciplined and got compartment syndrome in his mm-hmm. leg due to just some ankle lock that went wrong, didn't know what was going on. Uh, eventually went into the hospital, figured something, something weird. He jokes about how he like packed a bag and everything. It wasn't a big rush. And then I hear about this, doesn't even tell anybody. And so one of my other buddies says it. And so I text him, I was like, yo, you okay? Everything all right? He's like, yeah, 50-50. This is gonna sound horrifying. Like, I don't wanna scare people, but 50-50, I might lose my life. And yeah. so he's making jokes. This guy's just built different. He's like, well, I'll play murder ball, which is like wheelchair basketball, if that happens. Anyway, it turns out he actually recovered really well, fine. He had fasciotomy, both sides of his calves. 
Uh, he's in the gym a month later working out and, and he recovered great. I'm probably due to the literally how physically fit he'd been. That's a worst case scenario that can literally happen to anybody, you know, freaky stuff. But when it comes down to the everyday, you know, what, what do you see in terms of injury rates or other risks? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think that is kind of on the forefront of a lot of people's minds, especially as they start to what I would say or call train live on both sides of the mat, right? So in, in jujitsu, that would be randori or live grappling, right? Which comes at a certain point in time in your in your training journey. And then for Muay Thai, that would be sparring, right? And same thing. And I think a lot of that comes down to, look, at the end of the day, you know, um, to some degree, you're clashing partner, um, some anywhere between 50% and 100%, right? In grappling, you can train at 100% resistance. In striking, that's certainly not the case, right? Because we would have knockouts left and right. So that's that's not the goal in, in the training room, right? But you are clashing with a partner with resistance um, in a very dynamic setting. Um, statistically speaking, there's bound to be injuries, right? So our goal as instructors and, and as a martial arts facility is to do our best to minimize the amount of injuries that can happen. So, you know, I do think the structure of a program that you have in place is, is critically important to preventing injuries. I think the culture that you have at your gym or academy is critically important to preventing injuries. Um, I think your approach and philosophy to the sport is, is equally important to that too. So I think there's a lot of things that, that come into play when that happens, you know, there, there are a lot of martial arts gyms, jujitsu gyms that will have you go in on day one, you sign the waiver and you're training live right off the bat. You have no understanding or control of your body, right? You may not understand what a tap is or, or how much pressure is getting applied to your elbow or your ankle at this moment. Um, you know, your partner may not have the same level of control that you have. So in those instances, obviously, you know, we're going to see a lot of injuries and, and we're going to see kind of the opposite of effect of what people wanted. They come in there for confidence, for self-defense, and they end up on day one with, uh, you know, a, a busted ankle or a busted knee, they pop their knee because they were training live and they don't know what's happening. So, you know, thankfully at Easton, we've been around for 25 years. We've made a lot of these mistakes early on. Um, and we've done a great job of being able to course correct and and build structure and have, uh, you know, progression in place on both sides of the map. So by the time our students are training live in jujitsu or Muay Thai, they have enough offensive and de defensive skills and awareness to be able to protect themselves to control with their partner. And we have a great, great crew of instructors who are can can monitor a class and understand what's happening and, and make adjustments as they see fit. But back to your original point, look, at the end of the day, it, it is we, we're we're teaching combat sports um, and injuries are going to happen. Um, funny, funny enough, I see more injuries training jujitsu in the gym, um, but I see, of course, more injuries in the fight and actual competition in Muay Thai. So you would think sometimes people think it's going to be the other way, way around. If I'm punching and kicking my partner in the gym, they're going to accumulate a lot of injuries. But actually when we see it is, is jujitsu when they're training in the gym, um, you know, and, and most of the time it's kind of small things, right? They're passing the guard. It's an explosive motion. Maybe someone's knee goes up to the face. We get a busted nose or a black eye. Um, there is the occasional knee injury, wrist injury, rib injury, something like this, but you know, small injuries like that, in my opinion, where, you know, we're not talking about like an ACL or something where they're out for a long time. In my opinion, at least teaching people to be resilient through those, learning more about your body on the journey of how to take care of this injury 
what to do in your training in the time off when you can't be on the mat live. I think all of these things play a, a really big role in, in the person's overall development, understanding of the sport and understanding of themselves too. Well, you, you alluded to something really important here. Like this doesn't, it's, it's not, okay, you do this and you get injured versus you don't do it and you don't get, get injured. It's not, this doesn't exist in, in a vacuum. We have a whole bunch of dynamics here and it's the same thing with resistance training. There is always a, some injury risk if you step into a gym, right? But it's compared to what? It's compared to what are the mental, physical health, metabolic health risks of metaphorically sitting on the couch, eating poorly for a very long time. So you're, you're kind of making a choice and it's a bit of a false dichotomy, but it certainly exists on a spectrum of behavior. But the more active you are, the better your nutrition is, the better these other lifestyle behaviors are, which can include the ritual discipline practice of mixed martial arts or resistance training. And I think they're good mm -hmm. analogies for each other in this case. Yep. You're far more likely to get tremendous benefit and be healthier, though there is a risk or reward ratio that, that you potentially could get hurt. And as you said, because when we measure uh, injury rates per thousand hours of, of practice, like resistance training is super, super low on that. Um, I don't know what they are for combat sports. And I'm guessing they're probably not crazy either. Yeah. But as a percentage of the number of hours, these eight, these sports are very, very safe. Uh, a lot of other, I guess, team sports, like things like football, hockey are going to have higher rates for sure. And I'll get to that a thought there in a second. But if you want to just never experience an injury, bubble wrap yourself, sit on the couch and slowly degenerate into metabolic unhealth, mental unwellness and all of the things that are going to come with that. And you will not be resilient. You will be brittle. You'll be fragile. And I don't believe that's, that's a great life. Right? And that's 100%. not a judgment. That's not a judgment on anybody who through no fault of their own is unable to do some of these things, but it's, it's more a, Hey, here's a little reminder for the people that you have a choice if you have that ability. And the second thing I wanted to hit on is, my my guess is most of the people involved in this stuff, especially the ones that endure, are people who love it. Like my friends who are into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, they love it. Like they're they're like a cult. It's like they joined a cult. I, I will you know tease them about <laughs> yep. that. My friends yep. I mentioned earlier, Dean Guido and Jeb Johnston. Um, we were at an event in Dallas last year in February. I'll be back this year speaking again. And I, and listen, shout out to raise the bar, guys, if you're listening. Like message me. I, I want I want to see you there. It's going to be great. But Dean and Jeb were there, a bunch of other friends. And there were points where the two of them, like they won't sit in front of every lecture. They're out in the hallway. And I mean, I've got video of them and they're grappling. They're on this <laughs> like hallway in a, uh, in a convention center. And they're like hugging each other on the ground. They're talking to each other. They're practicing and seeing shit. And, and like anybody walking by is going to see two dudes like cheek to cheek, like just hugging and grappling. One yeah. Dude, Hips, they kind of on each other, and it's like, what's going on, right? But <laughs> these guys, they, they live it. It's a, it's it's got its own language, and so it's a, it's a passion. And at a certain point, if you love any sport, uh, a good friend of mine, she uh, she's a former guest, uh, Jen Kish. If you go back quite a ways, Jen was the team captain of the Canadian Olympic women's rugby sevens. They won a bronze in Rio. And Jen's now retired, and she had a fairly substantial hip injury along the way. And actually, she's dealt with some some concussion stuff and some mental health stuff that's that's residual from that. But, you know, this is also one of the best rugby players in the world in her prime. 
And there's a legacy of great that's come from it. And you look at some of these iconic bodybuilders who choose some of the things, the long-term risks that come with it. And, and I'm sure that's true of you know, long-time fighters as well. And if it's yes. something you love, you know, you understand that you're probably going to come out the other end with some scars. Yep. And and it's something that I just hope that people go in. And again, your, your average person wanting to just get healthy and, and start is probably not facing those same risks. That's, okay. that's exactly it. I think anything we do in life is risk versus reward, right? And we just have to weigh that out. But uh, 10 times out of 10, I will always advocate for people training martial arts. Um, one of my favorite things when people come into the gym, the first time they train hard, maybe they experience a small injury, they get hit. One of my favorite moments is when people realize that they're not made of glass, right? So you get hit, you get punched, you know, maybe you get a bloody nose and you're like, oh, I'm still here. I'm okay. Right. I'm fine. Yeah. Of course you're fine. Right. Your nose is still attached to your face. You have a little bit of blood coming out. You're alive. You're doing great. Right. And and slowly but surely people can build this resiliency and, and along with that resiliency comes with the confidence. Right. And like we said, unfortunately, it's it's a numbers game at some point, as long as you train, if you're training consistently, you will experience some degree of injury. But I'm hoping at that point we've gone through enough in the training that you understand you're not made of glass, that you are resilient now that we can work around this, right? That we are committed. We understand the net positive of training martial arts and the lifestyle that comes with it, right? And we'll be able to work through this injury and we'll be back on the mats hopefully sooner rather than later. So to me, it's all part of the journey, um, right? And there are going to be some injuries that are bigger than others, unfortunately. That's that's the nature of it too. Um, but overall, training martial arts, training jujitsu, training Muay Thai, you know, it's, it's, it's a massive, massive net positive to anything that, that might be perceived as a risk involved with it. I, I like this. I wasn't sure where exactly we would go with this conversation, but there's probably some people listening and thinking about this stuff. And, you know, they see these prominent fitness people dabbling. Um, my buddy, uh, Anthony Zorzato is another guy who he's aligned to the fitness industry, but he, it's just, it's his life. He loves it. Um, and these guys, they, they enjoy it. And I know there's women, uh, I know a whole bunch of women who are practitioners of this stuff too. So I've always been curious, of course, I'm a little beaten up at 45 from like resistance training for years too. Right. So yeah, of I'm course. like, Oh my God, I, I actually, I'm currently dealing with a minor lateral meniscus tear that I'm rehabilitating. So I'm like the idea of like having my leg locked and twisted doesn't sound very good right now, but <laughs> maybe I'll get there someday. Right. So, you know, I can overcome that fear too. Um, uh, Okay, so intersection, you did mention uh, earlier something about uh, resistance training, strength training, and MMA. So how important is it to supplement your skill practice of mixed martial arts with resistance training, cardiovascular training? In my opinion, it's extremely important. And I have all of my athletes, you know, and we, we can start to kind of go into this a little bit. Obviously, at a like we talked about before, martial arts gym, Easton. 1% of the people there are interested in ever competing. And even a smaller amount of that 1% are going to go to a, any reasonable level of competition, right? So I have a, a big group of amateur Muay Thai fighters that I train and ranging anywhere from one fight to 30 fights. And then I have a group of professional MMA athletes that I train as well too. So, but all of those athletes who step into the ring for competition, they're all on a strength and conditioning program that supplements the sport of Muay Thai or the sport of MMA. So I've been very fortunate when I fought, um, I, I did my strength and conditioning at Landau Performance down in Inglewood in Colorado. Obviously, the great Lauren Landau, who's been, um, you know, uh, he's he's also a mainstay in kind, kind of the combat sports strength and conditioning area. Um, 
He's now a uh, shout out to Lauren. He just became the strength and conditioning director over at Nord- uh, Notre Dame football. So he's heading out to South Bend. Um, he just got that job, which is awesome. I'm, I'm super stoked for him. Um, but their program at Landau has been a foundation of my personal training when I was an athlete. And then any athlete that I've worked with for my MMA guys, I've sent there as a result since. So their philosophy has always been, and I, I really align myself with this, is that the weight room and what they're doing there is not the main focus. Their goal is to build good athletes, strong athletes, healthy athletes that allows them to really pour their energy into their sports specific work. Um, And you look at something like MMA, it's such a dynamic sport. These guys in any given week have practices that include striking, grappling, wrestling, strength and conditioning, maybe road work, right? We're talking about five or six different types of training multiple times a week. Some of these guys are putting in 15 sessions a week as they get ready for, uh, you know, a professional fight. So you look at someone like uh, Lauren Landau or or one of my guys, Aaron Porter over there at, at Landau Performance. Um, he's a phenomenal strength and conditioning coach that's been there for a long time. You know, his job is he has to kind of navigate around the current training schedule that they have. He has to put in work that is going to support that and not take away from that, right? In my opinion, as as a striking coach and a head coach for some of these guys, their, their most important days in the gym are, are their sparring days because sparring is the closest thing to the fight. That's the sports-specific stuff. So if they're doing things in the weight room, like trying to PR, right, when they're deadlifting, you know, trap bar squatting, back squatting, and then they go into sparring the next day and their legs are fried, their nervous system is fried because they've tried to pick up too much weight, we lost an entire day of, of sparring where I get the most – the closest view of how they're doing and how they're preparing for the fight. So a good strength and conditioning coach inside of the combat sports space knows that their job is to keep these guys healthy and supplement the work that they're doing now and not detract from it. Um, So I've been fortunate to align myself with a lot of coaches that have that philosophy. We take the same approach with our athletes and the result over the years has been fantastic. We have athletes that are bigger, stronger, faster with a lot less injuries over the course of a year because they're staying consistent in the weight room and because they're using that work to supplement their sport specific work. So I'm a big believer in, in, in strength and conditioning for the combat sport athletes. And I mentioned Joel Jamison earlier. And yep. first of all, for coaches, if you guys aren't following Joel, go follow Joel, go back and listen to my yes. episode with him. Uh, but check out his course. So he, he gave me his course, the uh, certified conditioning coach a while ago. And the big emphasis here is on the, the stamina conditioning. And he's like, he does a really good job explaining what he truly means by conditioning because we're not just talking about endurance. Technically, conditioning is so much more of a broader concept. But we, we've talked a lot about injuries. One of the main risk factors of injury is poor sleep, poor nutrition, poor recovery, uh, simply doing too much volume, too much intensity with your training, and being able to balance those two things against, as you talked about, the output and the demands of your skill work and your and your striking, your combat work, it's a delicate balance. I like Joel's yep. stuff. Anybody who wants to learn a lot more about this, and it's not just restricted for mixed martial arts, even though it's framed around that, it's actually really good for any sport, any coach, any athlete. So that's the balance. And it, and it makes sense. I'm guessing as well, for someone to say, well, I'm just not going to do any of that so that way I have all my energy for, for, for skill work. Well, that's not the answer either because you need to develop the the, the physical strength, because that's going right. to be a very key component to actually being successful at this, to build the stamina, because uh, a lot of fights are won or lost based on your ability not to gas out during 
the match, right? If you can go hard and throw, we, we've all seen the, the, you know, the, the local tough guy, street fighter, you know, uh, you know, throws a bunch of punches, but in 15 seconds, 20 seconds, all of a sudden, like he's gassed, he's done. Yep. And yep. obviously you see that stuff in boxing. Muhammad Ali was great at dancing around the ring and wearing out his opponents, et cetera. That's conditioning. I'll, I'll let people, if you have questions about it, message me. I'll, I'll connect you with Joel or, or the course or what have you, if you want to go deeper. Now, here's the fun stuff. This is a thing that, you know, probably, like I said, got us started chatting and you have been coaching Maynard James Keenan for over four years, working with him on his skills. Um, and for anybody who's listening, I'm like, I, I, I shouldn't <laughs> post this to YouTube. I, I got to start doing that. I'm, I'm literally wearing a tool shirt, but half of, my, <laughs> half of my wardrobe is literally tool stuff. I love ordering stuff off the websites. I bought this at a concert in 2019 in Toronto. So I've seen them six times ever five times since 2019 and and they're my favorite band i I, re, I really love their music so when we were chatting you know one of the things you i asked and, and you said is you yourself are not actually a huge fan of tool as a band right yeah so uh you know ironically the the first time that i connected with him um you know i i forget how it came about but some you know he, he's a, he's the lead singer of tool and i said okay cool i don't i don't know what that is you know and and <laughs> You know, look, I'm 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 35. I'm not I'm not a baby, but I I'm I'm old enough to know their music. You know, it's still maybe one generation past me, but um, I know that they have a massive following. And it's just it's not my genre of music. That's all it is. You know, and and there's a lot. You know, I I I kind of stay in my lane. Mm -hmm. I'm very combat sports oriented. You know, um, a lot of things outside of that kind of miss my purview. Um, so I said, cool. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, like if he wants to train, I talk about combat sports. That's, that's what we can connect with, you know? So yeah, he, he came in, um, he's got a, um, his kind of head of security, Todd Fox, who's also a longtime jujitsu black belt. Um, he was in the Marine Corps. He does a lot of executive protection, uh, for Maynard, for a lot of other, you know, um, kind of celebrity singers and, and bands and stuff like that. He came with him too. And, you know, we, we sat down and we talked and we said, okay, what's our goal here? What's the plan? Right. And, and like I said earlier, Maynard for him learning Muay Thai and understanding Muay Thai was about managing the distance, which, you know, jujitsu is a very, very similar thing too. It's just at a different distance, but your jujitsu is rendered effect, you know, ineffective if you can't get to someone and take them down and get your hands on them. So our first couple of lessons were about managing that space, staying safe in that space and understanding how to close that space if someone is striking at you or how to use your strikes to close that space. So, you know, something that I really love about Maynard is that, um, you know, aside from his work ethic and, and his mentality of being a student at everything, which is really impressive, um, he he has goals, he has structure, he knows what he wants, right? Like I said, he was not just coming to to learn Muay Thai and just, you know, teach me whatever, he had a plan in place and his plan was specific to his lifestyle and keeping him safe and keeping him, you know, um, doing what he loves to do best and combining it with something he's familiar with already, which is jujitsu. So um, coming from someone who is, has OCD and likes structure and likes things very organized, I connected with that very easily. And, and, you know, we were able to kind of put a plan together in place and, and execute from there. So that's kind of how our relationship started. Um, look, uh, I, I don't know how old Maynard is at this point. Uh, he's what, he's, 60, he's right, right around 60. So yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll preface some stuff here. Forgive the interruption, but no, please the goals here was not to ask a whole bunch of stuff about Maynard Maynard. <laughs> I I've read the autobiography or the biography of him. 
you know, I know the story. the The wine vineyard, Ignatius uh, Cellars, is a really cool yep. thing. I love the band. I love what they do. And for anybody listening who's never seen them live, Maynard is a irreverent personality. Um, he's a bit mysterious, I suppose, in ways. He's most rock and roll frontmen, musicians, singers, whatever, are front and center of the stage. They're the they're the center of everything. He goes up on he's up on platforms, walking back and forth on the back behind Danny, the drummer, and Adam, the guitarist, and Justin, the bass player, are kind of forefront of the stage. And a lot of it's about the visual display. So he's not the seeking the center of attention. And it's got to be challenging as someone who has his certainly his level of fame. You know, not everybody walking around the street is going to recognize him. Uh, you know, he's, he's not the rock, but right. he's got he had a security. So in a way, like one of my life goals is not to meet Mayer because I know what that's going to end up like. That's probably not sometimes you don't want to meet your heroes, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Whereas yeah. like if I if I ever get to meet Danny, the drummer, Danny just is he's 60. I think he's like 62 now, still really jacked, big smiles, like just this big, super friendly energy. And like, you could tell Danny was the sort of guy you'd sit down and have a beer with. So the goal of this was not to be like, oh, give me the inner details on Maynard. In fact, if anything, an important part of you working with him is that respect to, you know, and that's why he wants to work with you. But I guess, and I want you to continue, but I also want to get into just some of the, some of the things you have to navigate working with someone, you know, in that position who has private security, who is going to be in the gym at the same time as some people are going to be like, oh my God, that's Maynard. Can I go get his yep. autograph, right? Yep. So, please. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think he does a fantastic job of kind of navigating that. Obviously, that's been his existence for a long time now, right? Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic. It's, it's, it's a student that I don't see very often, right? Um, it's like always any client that we have, we have to consider their age. We have to consider their level of fitness already. We have to consider their their schedule outside of here. And and you and I both know Maynard has a, a pretty insane schedule with multiple bands, the wine, the restaurant. <laughs> you know, he's got his own um, jujitsu academy down in in Arizona now that he opened up. Um, yeah, you know, he he his plate is just possible at all times. You know, so okay, what is my goal here? How do I have to interact with him to make sure? maximize our time and be as efficient as possible and that he can retain the information that I'm teaching him, you know? So my goal is in an hour session or 90 minutes, whatever we're training, you know, it, it has to be one or two or at the most three key takeaways, something that he can practice either on his own when he's on, on the road touring, something that um, Todd can work with him while they're on the road together. And, you know, uh, Maynard is the type of guy that he brings mats, jujitsu mats in the tour bus Right. And when they go to their tours, he calls people, they roll the mats out before the, the show and they train. So, you know, he has the opportunity to practice this stuff. It's, it's maybe not always a coach is there at that time. So I just want to make sure when we get together, I'm giving him bite sized, relevant information that he can use, that he can work on his own, that will translate into real life. If God forbid the need arises. Right. Um, but, you know, man, he's just a something that I really like and respect about Maynard. You know, like I said, I don't I don't follow the music. Um, you know, it's just not my genre, but he's a student of the game. He's a student of martial arts. Anyone who is willing to start Muay Thai, a striking based sport in their mid 50s. I have a ton of respect for it. It's not easy, um, you know, and he has his own set of injuries that he deals with, you know, being on tour, training jujitsu. You know, those are other things that we have to consider. So anyone who's starting Muay Thai at that stage in their life. 
man, I have a ton of respect for. And, and, you know, also someone who's as accomplished as he is. I've worked with plenty of people who have accomplishments that, you know, they, they lose kind of that student men mentality or what we call the white, be white belt mentality when we're a beginner student again. You and I both know the key to learning and the key to growing is, is keeping that student mentality and continuing to learn. He does a phenomenal job with that. You know, when he steps on the mat, you know, okay, he's got a black belt in jujitsu now, which he just got, which was awesome. Um, that, that happened a couple of weeks ago. I was supposed to go down there to his academy and I wasn't able to make it. Um, but shout out to Maynard for, for getting the black belt. But on the other side, you know, if we had a ranking system in Muay Thai, he would be a white belt. So when he steps <laughs> on the mat, he kind of sets everything else aside, right? And anything that he's accomplished has nothing to do with what we're working on today. And he is still able to carry kind of that white belt mentality into our striking sessions, which in my opinion is what makes him so successful overall. It's it's great to get some insight into him. And given what he's accomplished in the various elements of his career and his longevity, you see, I mean, some of the some of the rock stars of the 80s. And I think some of them I mean, they they were pretty notorious. Anybody could go and read even Maynard's biography. You know, you get some wild stuff in there, but you it seems like they kind of go in one of two directions. You get the the figure it out, clean it up, Phil Collin from Def Leppard, not Phil Collins. Who, I don't know his personal life, but Phil Collin from Def Leppard is, is pretty legendary for having gotten sober. Def Leppard boys were like them, Metallica, The Cult. These are some of the most legendary bands for just larger than life partying craziness, Motley Crue. And I guess what we got, Nikki Six nearly died. And then I think he cleaned up his act. I don't know if Vince Neil ever really did. You know, you get some of these people that just didn't straighten themselves out. You know, like Ozzy Osbourne even getting kicked out of Black Sabbath, right? And then his <laughs> legacy of stuff. So, People take different paths and you can yep. look at, you know, the fact that Maynard is maintains a touring schedule. He does, does all these sort of things. And it's very obvious that his, his health, his wellness as he gets older is a priority. Yep. And that's not just reserved for rock stars. That's, that's like the quest we're all on. Yes. So maybe I could transition here. What's your vision for the impact of your career? I mean, what you personally want to accomplish, but what you want to be able to do for other people, because you know, specifically speaking, you're a striking skills coach within mixed martial arts. Yeah. How does that scale? What do you have a vision or an ambition? You've spoken very, very highly of Easton, which is where you, I guess you are employed there. Are you part of the ownership at all? Or yeah, yeah. So I've been with Easton for 15 years. Um, I'm I'm what uh, my title here is the Muay Thai program director. So basically, I oversee our Muay Thai program at all of our eight locations. You know, uh, curriculum development, instructor development, quality control, things like that. So that's that's kind of my quote unquote day job. But um, thankfully, my my passion and my my work intersect here. Um, and and you know, I do all my stuff through Easton, which is which is phenomenal. So yeah, man. You know, like I said, we have a a very large network of students and instructors here. The way that I always kind of phrase it is, you know, me teaching Muay Thai in particular. It's the national sport of Thailand. That's where it comes from. Um, it, it means a tremendous amount to those people. I always kind of phrase this to our students and my athletes that the sport of Muay Thai is not ours. Uh, we, we are fortunate, fortunate enough to train it, to study it, to practice it on a daily basis. You know, in Thailand, unfortunately, you know, just with the economics and, and kind of the state of that country, Muay Thai is a job for a lot of people. Um, you have the option as a child to go work with your family, maybe at a, in the rice field or something like that, or your parents sell you to the, to the gym. You start fighting as a pro at six years old. 
Um, you know, you retire when you're about 25 with 200 fights, some 200 odd fights, um, you know, and then you become a, a trainer after that. So it's um, it's it's not a hobby like it is here. And I try to kind of instill that on my students and my athletes that we're doing something that we like to do, that we're fortunate to do, that we choose to do. And so my goal for all of these people is one, to fall, to make them fall in love with Muay Thai, right? And because of, you know, the benefits that we talked about earlier in the podcast, but also to pass this down to other people, their goal should be, you know, and you don't have to be an instructor, but, you know, share this love of the sport, share your passion for it, spread this to as many people as possible down the line. So if I can get people to do that, if I can convince people to, to fall in love with Muay Thai, to make it part of their lives, right? And then ultimately pass that down. That's my again goal, man. You know, and, and there's going to be different avenues for that, right? There's going to be working with people like Maynard. There's going to be training my professional athletes who are winning, you know, title fights overseas, which is fantastic. There's going to be my amateur guys. There's a lot of different paths that I, I'm going down that will help achieve that. But that is my ultimate goal here. I know Muay Thai has done so much for me over the last 15 years. It's, it's changed my entire life. Everything that I have now, I owe towards Muay Thai or towards the community at Easton. Everything, everyone I've met has been through Easton. Maynard, you know, his connections were at Easton before he met me. Um, yeah, everything I have, man. My fiance, you know, along, you know, when we met a long time ago, she she started at Easton, which, you know, we don't do that anymore there. We have some rules in place about that, but Thankfully, I met her before we had those rules in place. Everything I have, man. So, yeah, my goal is just to make sure I can spread this to as many people as possible. And I'm hoping that those people will love it enough that they pass it on to everyone else. And it's like me talking about what the gym's done for me. Right? Most of my close friends I've met in the gym. Yep. Um, I have a career I love. I couldn't imagine. You know, I, I look back and think about the stuff that I get to do. I just... I just got brought out to a mountain retreat, this Nordic spa by a friend of mine who's a gym owner celebrating their first anniversary of a rebrand. Shout out to Matt Manti. Now, Matt won't listen to these because he's actually hearing impaired, but his uh, his head coach, Joanne Will. So, hey, Joanne, thanks for bringing me out. And they did a wonderful time. And I get to just hang out with this, like, out, like, it's cold here right now. I know it's actually pretty cold in Denver, too, but yep, yep. it's bloody cold here, right? So, I didn't realize, like, Nordic spa, like, okay, cool, like, nice spot right i'm picturing one thing no this bloody thing is outdoors these pools cold plunge pools hot pools what have you i'm like you're, you're kidding me right now it was beautiful <laughs> so four four and a half hours out at it right in some old friends uh it's about four hours drive away from edmonton where i am but it got beautiful incredible time and you just get to do stuff like that or get flown around to speak at some of these events and write for the stuff i do it's like this is a dream job and yeah. you know and, and earn a very good livelihood doing it it's also why i do this podcast because I want to be able to share the lessons of people who've been experienced, who are really passionate with them. And I, hopefully everybody listening is like, okay, well, you're bringing you on where you're, you're not the, the, the strength and conditioning personal trainer, you know, but it's, it's not that dissimilar. And I hope there's a lot of really valuable stuff. It's very, very fun conversation. Where can people find you to learn more about what you do, whether they just want to follow along or if they're actually more interested in Muay Thai? Sure. Yeah. Um, my, my Instagram is that Sean Madden underscore striking. That's where uh, I'm, I would say I'm probably most active right now. Um, if you want to learn more about Muay Thai, um, you know, man, get to Google, type it in. There's a million resources there. Um, but if you have any questions on Muay Thai or martial arts in general, yeah, please shoot me a message on Instagram. Uh, I'm look this just like you. This is my life. This is, this is 24 seven um, to the point where I drive my fiance crazy. I don't, I, you know, I tell people all the time, I don't have hobbies. Um, and, and maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing. 
my life result revol uh, revolves around martial arts and fighting on the weekends, Friday nights, Saturday nights, when the UFC is on this, I'm watching fights, you know, my, my poor fiance is sitting there with me and thank God she trains too. She loves it, you know, but like at some point she's like, man, can, can you relax for a little bit? This is it. This is what I do. I love it. I believe in it a hundred percent. So yeah, if anyone has ever has questions, I'm always available to chat about this stuff. I love it. When am I going to see you walking out to the ring at a UFC pay-per-view event with a fighter? Um, man, so I've, I've cornered close to 30 UFC fights. Um, I don't, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, since I've been, I cornered, I think the first time I cornered in the UFC was maybe 2014 in Zagreb, Croatia. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, you know, that's another thing I've, I've been fortunate to take about 30 international trips related to fighting all across the globe. And like you said, man, it's just, it's gratitude for, for everything that the sport has done for me. And, and, you know, I'll never be ungrateful for the opportunities, but yeah, I've cornered in the UFC about 30 times. I don't have anyone right now on the books for a UFC fight, but you know, that's always subject to change. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep you updated when we have the next one coming up. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Um, yeah. I appreciate you taking the time. This has been a true pleasure. And so for, Everybody listening, first of all, go go follow Sean. Okay, go check out what he's doing. It, you know, we get stuck in our own little like, ooh, like you know, bench press and squats and what have you. Like, go and go and expose yourself to something that's just a little bit broader than this. You never know what you might pull out of it. Right? Even if it's if it's not the technical aspects of it, maybe it's the philosophy, the discipline, the, yep. the mindset stuff. And for everybody listening, twenty twenty four, one of my goals is to continue to grow the podcast. I want to reach more people. I want to share this with more people. If you're the person who always listens to the end of these, then I know. You understand how valuable and impactful this can be. Do me this kindness. One of two things. Either A, and this is free, take this and share this with someone you know. If you okay, you got someone in fitness who likes tool, share this episode with them for real. Okay. Like they'll enjoy it. Or two, if you have not yet given me that review on your listening platform, give me that review. And this way you can help me grow this. I really want to do big things with this with all the other cool stuff I get to do. Um, thank you very much, Sean. You were a, an incredible guest, and I look forward to continuing to see what else you are doing with your career. Thank you. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it.